Today's scripture is reading 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 12 through 19. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even God has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all most people to be pitied. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Kate, so much. Um, Good morning, church family. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. It is a joy to be with you together. And I, I, it's the first service, and I'm already a wreck because of the beauty of this day. And so uh, I hope you are delighted to celebrate um, in this day and the fullness of what it means. And so if you're new, if you're a guest here, uh, my name is Reed. I serve as one of the pastors here, and I dress like this every Sunday, just so you I just want you to know. No, so people who are laughing know me all too well. Uh, it is truly a, a joy to gather today for this day of days, this day that marks the defeat of death, uh, a world without end, and the enthronement of our King, who is the defeater of death. And so, as we continue on in worship together, uh, as we turn to our scripture reading for this morning, I want to pray for our time uh, that the Lord would bless the hearing and the teaching of His words. Let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy and beyond our comprehension. And we rejoice in the fact, Lord, that you have given us by the power of your Spirit, your Son, who is the Son of God, the Righteous One, the Defeater of Death, the King of Kings, the Author of Life. It is in his name that we boast and trust. And Lord, I ask that in this time, as we celebrate what your people have celebrated for centuries, that you would work within us afresh the beauty, the truth, the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus that the sting of death has been removed because of Christ's victorious resurrection. And so, Lord, would the the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It is in the name of Christ and for his glory that we pray. Amen. In June of last year, uh, Jane Marcheski uh, sang a song that she wrote entitled It's Okay. Uh, She sang this uh, on the... uh, well-known show, America's Got Talent. And and she captivated audience members and judges alike by both her amazing performance, but also her very compelling story. You see, as Jane got up to to share uh, and and tell a bit of her story, it it led the judges to be overwhelmed by by who this woman was. And so she sang, and it was beautiful, so much so that it actually led uh, the judge, Simon Cowell, uh, to hit the uh, highly sought-after golden buzzer, uh, that basically moved Jane into the next round. They were so captivated by her performance. Uh, but before she performed her song, she shared with the judges, and you can actually see this in the performance um, online, but she shared with the judges that she had cancer. And she was actually given 2% chance 
to survive. And so when you watch the performance, you see the judges kind of react very physically to that news because it was rather startling, but it was also because it was so like starkly contrasted to the demeanor and the disposition of the woman they saw before them singing, it's okay. It didn't seem to make sense. There was a cognitive dissonance in their minds, like how on earth could this young, beautiful woman, Jane, definitively and with joy sing, it's okay, when it was decisively not okay? How could she, as she's facing certain death, sing these words with any sense of authenticity and conviction? The answer to that question is found over 2,000 years ago and over 6,000 miles away. The reason Jane was able to sing It's Okay is the reason why we gather together on this day of days. Because you see, Jane is a follower of Jesus, a worshiper of the King, one who hopes in the one who defeated death. And so the same foundation of hope that we remember and celebrate on Easter, and frankly every Sunday, is the same hope that forged within Jane's heart and soul the ability to sing It's Okay as she faced imminent death. The hope that Jesus has risen from the grave. Because Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. You got this, you got this. But here's my question. What if he didn't? What if he didn't rise from the grave? What if Jesus is still dead? Or even more to the point, what if he was never alive in the first place? What would it mean to us if Easter meant nothing? And I think that's a a valid question for us to ask. In fact, it's the question that Paul is kind of asking of his audience of the, the church in Corinth. You see, Jane's story is only a good story if Christ was raised from the dead. If the resurrection of Christ is merely a religious fable or or even a downright false narrative, then Jane's story is not emotionally powerful, it's embarrassingly pitiful. This woman who is singing It's Okay while facing certain death is not a story we should aspire to emulate if Christ has not been risen. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, if the empty tomb is full of lies, then we are wasting our time. What is it that we are actually doing this morning? Did a Middle Eastern homeless man who claimed to be God incarnate actually come back from the dead after being murdered or not? Is that what we actually believe? Is that what we are celebrating in this moment? If not, then what on earth are we doing here? If this life is all that we have, if we are just simply counting down our heartbeats until they're no more, without any hope, If the resurrection of Christ is nothing more than legend, then why aren't we all at brunch right now? That's exactly what Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 15. Look, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then then let's eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. But if Christ is risen, if the tomb is empty, if he has defeated death, then everything changes. And that's because our hope rises and falls on the risen Christ. Our hope rises and falls on the risen Christ. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is not a mere theological truth. It is not some religious tale or experience, nor is it a spiritual, inspirational story. It is the linchpin that holds together all of our hope, and not just hope for the Christian, but hope for all of creation. 
because our hope rises and falls on the risen Christ. And so if you have your Bibles here, I encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, whether paper or electronic. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We have Bibles on the, uh, the tables in between uh, the, the entranceway between here and the worship uh, the lobby. Uh, we have them in English and Spanish. Feel free to grab one either now or on your way out. But, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel writers, and the big book of Acts, big book of Romans, and then the big book of 1 Corinthians. And so to just set context here, so we've been in the gospel of John for for several weeks, and we now on Easter come to this text in 1 Corinthians 15, celebrating the resurrection. And, And it's written by the Apostle Paul, and he's written two letters to the Corinthian church, and the first letter is mostly about correcting all of the terrible problems that the church has, okay? So it should be a comfort to us who feel like we don't have our lives together. They're still considered the church. Paul loves them. And after all of this correction, he is just eager to, to remind them of their shared faith and hope in the resurrected Christ that we see in chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so, so Paul wants to remind the Corinthian church of the faith that they share. But the question for us to ask, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, just the question we should ask is, do we believe this story? Do we believe that what Paul is declaring is of first importance? Do we believe that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who lived, who died, and who rose again? Or to maybe ask it a different way, what is your understanding of, belief in, and relationship to the Easter story? How do we relate to this day? For some of us, I think our relationship to Easter is that we just kind of think that Easter is fine. Easter is fine. I I like Easter. I kind of like generally the idea of Easter. I kind of like dressing up once a year. You know, I I kind of like the idea of an inspirational story of of some kind of spiritual motivation. But Easter is fine. I, I don't think it necessarily really matters if Jesus rose from the grave bodily. I like the idea behind it. What's more important are our spiritual lives. And what's more important is that we get to eat peanut butter cups in the shape of eggs for a few weeks out of the year. Like, that's really kind of what we think about Easter. Easter is fine. I think a common view in the church and outside the church when it comes to Easter and the resurrection story is this idea that says, like, more important than really believing what the Bible says, more important than believing who Jesus claimed to be and what he accomplished, more important than that is just to believe in something bigger than yourself to believe in some kind of spiritual resurrection. So does it really matter if Christ was bodily raised from the dead, or is it more important to believe in some kind of spiritual rising? And and I say this because this is exactly what the Corinthians had kind of come to believe. They, they, They were worshipers of Jesus, but they rejected the idea of the resurrection from the dead. And so they kind of held to this like spiritual aspect to this story and not the real historical bodily resurrection of Christ. So does it really matter? Does our hope rise and fall on the risen Christ or not? And this is why Paul pens these words to the Corinthian church in verses 12. So skip down to 12 and 14. So Paul says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
What Paul is saying is that we cannot just simply see Easter as a story that inspires us, filled with nostalgia. That's not an option permitted to us by Paul or the biblical authors or Jesus himself. If we are just fine with Easter, then our faith is futile. It's not real. It has no substance. And, and, and this is where Paul begins. If you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul, I mean, the brother is brilliant. I mean, he just, he launches into this very logical argument that's very cogent. He's like, okay, just, just follow me here, y'all. If, if there's no resurrection of the dead, he goes on to say in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So if Christ is not raised, then we are wasting our time and we are wasting away in sin. And so the idea of Easter just being fine is not really an option because our hope rises and it falls on the risen Christ, whether he was risen or not. And, and Paul, Paul's really, he doesn't pull punches. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He's very clear with them. Like if we don't believe this, it's not just that we are stupid and foolish, but we are utterly hopeless and left in despair. Listen to how Eugene Peterson articulates Paul's words in his paraphrased translation the message of verses 17 and 19. He says this, If Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and the resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we are a pretty sorry lot. We can't just be fine with Easter. We can't just simply have some innocuous relationship to it that is not permitted to us in Paul's mind, in the mind of the biblical authors and of Jesus himself. And so maybe, maybe Easter isn't fine, but okay, okay, fine. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, Easter is not fine. I, I'm willing to actually say Easter is just fiction. Easter is just fiction. And so maybe for you, Easter is nothing more than religious folklore. Maybe it's nothing more than kind of spiritual mythology. And, and if that's your view, let, let me very quickly say, like, I'm glad you're here. You and your doubts and your questions are welcome at Christ's community. You can add them to ours as we struggle and wrestle together to know what it means to follow Jesus in this broken world. But let me say this. If you are going to reject Jesus, if you're going to walk away from the faith or reject the idea of the resurrection, make sure you know what it is that you're walking away from and to understand the nature of the resurrection and the Christian faith in general. And here's what I mean by that. The biblical authors show us that the Christian faith is rooted in real historical facts. It is not rooted in some spiritual experience of some kind. It rises and falls on a real event in time and space that either happened or didn't happen. And we see this in how Paul lays out the basis upon which our trust and our hope in the resurrection is found. Paul gives an ordered account of a transmission of multiple eyewitnesses to the resurrection. This is not something that happened in isolation. Kind of back up in verses 6 and 8 of chapter 15. Paul goes on to say, he says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. What Paul is saying in giving this list of eyewitnesses He's saying that the resurrection of Jesus is actually verifiable. 
It's something that can be observed. It did not happen in a vacuum, isolated away from the public. Paul actually later in the book of Acts, when he's speaking to King Agrippa, he says to King Agrippa, he's like, brother, you understand, like, like these events that I'm proclaiming, they did not happen in a corner. They happened in the public. Everybody knows about it. And so when Paul says, most of whom are still alive, these eyewitnesses, like they're still alive, it's Paul's way of saying like, look, don't take my word for it. Like, go talk to Todd and Brittany. Like, like, listen to them. Like, they're alive. Like, if you don't doubt me, go ask them what they saw and heard. I'll wait. They're still around. Have their testimony corroborated with mine. In his book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, New Testament scholar Richard Bauckham, which is it's a, an incredible resource, but he offers us this very helpful insight into Paul's words here, referring to Paul's mentioning of these eyewitnesses, Bauckham says this, the explicitness of this detail, of Paul giving this orderly account of these eyewitnesses, it shows that he intends it to be a kind of authentication. If anyone wishes to check this tradition, a very large number of eyewitnesses are still alive and can be seen and heard, even extending to a very large number of minor eyewitnesses, as well as to such prominent persons as the Twelve and James himself. The resurrection of Jesus is a verifiable historical fact and event. And so what this means is that the Christian faith, which hinges upon this historical event, possesses the qualities of being proven true or proven false. And this is one of the many things that sets the Christian faith apart from every other major world religion. It possesses the ability to be proven true or false. And, and, and it's not just that the, the Christian faith has a foundational historical event, but it's that this foundational historical event can be verified. It can be looked into. It can be investigated, tested, and determined to be true or false. Or in other words, our hope rises and falls on the risen Christ. Listen to how author Michael Patton puts it in kind of showing the beautiful uniqueness of the Christian faith in comparison to other religions. He says this, the believer in the Islamic faith has to trust in a private encounter that Muhammad had. And this encounter is unable to be tested historically. No one else was there. He goes on to say, Buddhism and Hinduism are not historic faiths, meaning that they don't have central claims of events in time and space which believers are called upon to investigate. You either adopt their philosophy or you don't. It doesn't matter what happened in history. He goes on to say, there is no objective way to test them. Run through every religion that you know of and you will find this to be the case. Either it does not give historic details to the central event, the event does not carry any worldview changing significance, or there are no historic events which form the foundation of the faith. Our hope rises and falls on the risen Christ. Either he rose from the dead and gives us good reason to believe he is who he says he is, or he did not rise from the dead, and we are of all people to be pitied. Think of it, uh, think of it this way. One of, my, one of my favorite sports to play is disc golf. I, I enjoy disc golf, and a few years ago, I played uh, disc golf uh, by myself, which some of you are probably wondering which is sadder, the fact that I called this stupid sport a sport or that I played by myself. It doesn't matter. I have friends, okay? Um, but I'm playing this game, and I, I, I got a hole-in-one. I, I threw the disc. I got in the basket one throw. I, it was, like, amazing. It was absolutely incredible. No one was around to see it. 
I didn't have a friend there. There wasn't another player in, in eyesight to witness this. But friend, I'm telling you, I got a hole in one. I, I promise you. Now, like, sure, yeah, whatever, Reed. That's fine. That's fine. So here's the thing. If you, you could sit here and be like, okay, I know Reed. He's like a decent guy. I, I think I could believe that he got a hole in one. So if you believe me, you would be believing me on the basis of an unverifiable testimony. You couldn't prove it true or false apart from what I claim to be true. And the same thing is true of, of every other world religion in comparison to Christ, to, to the Christian faith. They either have no real historical event or they have no way of proving the veracity and the trustworthiness of the historical event that the religion is founded upon. The Christian faith is categorically different because it rises and falls on the risen Christ. The reason why this day is so joyous, the reason why we come together and sing, the reason why I put a tie on is because we believe that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Our hope rises and falls on the risen Christ, and so we cannot simply write off the Christian faith as being fine. And Paul is giving us good reason to say that we cannot simply conclude that Easter and the resurrection story is fiction. Paul is essentially saying to us that Easter is of first importance or it's nothing. Easter cannot be fine to us. Easter, really, there's no good basis for to conclude that it is fiction. Easter must be of first importance. The events of Holy Week This week that we've been celebrating, remembering of Christ entering Jerusalem, being declared Hosanna, being crucified on the cross, rising three days later, these are not just falsifiable faith facts that we kind of think upon and reflect on. They are the world-altering events that continue to reverberate throughout history into modern day, bringing restoration, reconciliation, and redemption to a broken world. Which is why Paul is not just giving us an orderly account of the things that happened. He's showing that our hope is rooted in this as he declares in verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preach to you. Which you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul says our hope rises and falls on the risen Christ, because his resurrection is both a validation of his death on the cross and a visualization of the kingdom that he is bringing. And let me explain what I mean by that. The, The resurrection of Jesus is proof of purchase that what he did on Good Friday on the cross actually secured for us our redemption and the forgiveness of our sins once and for all. But also what the resurrection shows us and illustrates is the new kind of life that is inaugurated and breaks forth for those who are followers of Jesus. A life that is marked by healing and wholeness and hope. And so when we understand that this is the basis of our hope, that the resurrection is not some inspiring story, but actually shapes who we are as the people of Jesus, it changes how we live. And so church, this is what we remember and celebrate. This is what our hope is rooted in. It is the hope that our sin and shame does not have to define us anymore because it was put to death with Jesus once and for all. It is the hope that death will not have the final word. Because our hope is in the one who entered death for us in order to forever keep death from us. Amen? That is why we celebrate and gather. 
It is this hope that countless others have found throughout the ages. It is the hope that I have found. It is the hope that many of you have found. And as we heard earlier, it is the hope that Jane found, which empowered her to declare, it is okay, as she stared certain death in the face, and as she eventually fell prey to this same enemy. Earlier this year in February, on the 19th of February, Jane breathed her last breath here on earth. The woman who arrested the hearts of millions of people, she had placed her hope in the one who arrested death itself. That's why we are, she is able to sing, it's okay. But here's my question for us, and to follow Paul's logic, are we to conclude that Jane was a fool? Are we to conclude that she is most of all to be pitied? Are we to believe that this woman who's saying it's okay and had a hope beyond the grave as she faced imminent death, are we to conclude that she was a fool because her hope rises and falls on the risen Christ? If the answer is yes, the answer is yes, rather, if this day means nothing. She is a fool if this day means nothing. Paul says it in verse 19, if in Christ we have no hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But friends, keep reading. What does Paul say right after that verse? Why should we not pity Jane? Why should we not see her as a fool in her hope in Christ? Because of what Paul definitively declares in verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen? Jane is not to be pitied. She is to be praised because of her praise of the one who defeated death for her. Jane is not to be pitied because Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Church, our hope rises and falls on the risen Christ. And thanks be to God, for for he is risen, and therefore we have hope. And this hope is made available to us all. It is a hope that is not only made available to us all, but it is a hope that we deeply are desperate for. As much as we try to avoid death, as much as we try to sanitize it, to remove it from our mind's eye, as much as we even try to deny it in our culture, the undeniable reality is that a day is coming for all of us that will mark the end of our days. The question is, what hope do you have for that day? Jane found this hope, a hope that countless others have found since that first Easter morning, a hope that can still be found by you, and it is a hope that you can share with our dear sister, Vanessa. Take a look at her beautiful story. Addiction is a very powerful thing. I mean, it's, it's a chain. It's heavy chains. One night I had came home and my parents had asked me if I was doing drugs. And I was at the time. I had just started dabbling. And so my parents confronted me about it. And I was like, no, no, I would never do that. I found another place to live with another guy. So I would rather move out than to admit my wrongs. I went from, you know, just taking pills to get through my shift at work, not holding down a job. My addiction's getting worse. I don't have money to be able to afford my drugs. How am I gonna keep going? It was a really sad time for all of us because, you know, my mom felt like she had failed. My dad felt the same way. 
I was more angry than anything and ashamed. It's that shame that makes you kind of distance yourself from the people you love. I hid from my parents. It got to the point where they would even come try to look for me at the house where I was staying. I would hide in my room. I could hear them knocking on the door and I would just, I refused to open the door because I knew that if they saw me, they, they would know immediately something's wrong. Her and my dad were so sad one day that they were like, you know, there is a church right here down the block. Why don't we go check it out and see what that's all about? She still had all this stress about wanting to take care of her daughter and, and save her from whatever she was going through. But at the same time, she was also learning to let go and let God. One day I went to go visit my parents and we were sitting at the dinner table and my mom told me about this dream she'd had. And in this dream, I was a little three, four year old girl but I was, I was looking down really sad. She's like, all I could see were your eyelashes and then tears running down your face. And I was trying to reach out to you to grab you and be like, don't cry, I'm here with you, don't cry. And every time I try to grab you, you would slip in between my fingers. And in that moment, I just lost it. I started crying and that's when I admitted to my mom, I do need help. It's not just a dream, mom, I need help. I'm not okay. If she wouldn't have made the first step to come to church and seek God, I would have never gotten to know God. And my, my story would be very different. It could be my mom sitting here talking about, you know, her testimony about the loss of a daughter to addiction rather than her daughter sitting here saying it's possible to get clean. Prior to getting baptized, I was still struggling with my addiction. It was very fresh still. Once I made the decision that I'm gonna take my, my relationship with God serious. This is life or death for me. Once I made that decision, it's like I went underwater and God brought me back a, like a completely different person with a new perspective, with, with new needs and wants and, and desires. Even the own power of addiction can be broken by God's power, by God's will. Well, Vanessa, have you come to trust and treasure Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, yes all right. Amen. What a powerful and beautiful story that is. A story of resurrection. A story of hope coming out of hopeless places. And, and, and whether or not you, your story feels like Vanessa's story, whether you can resonate with her story very clearly or not, my guess is that some of us here today are wondering if we can find any sense of peace from our anxiety, any sense of comfort in our sorrow, any forgiveness for our sin, any rescue from our shame, any hope beyond the grave. If that is you, I hope that you will come to find that our hope rises and falls on the risen Christ, on his life, his death, and his resurrection. That this is what we believe, that if Christ has been raised, then we have reason for hope. If he has not been raised, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if Christ has been raised, there is reason to hope in this life and in the one to come. 
As we continue in worship together, we, we come to the Lord's table. Uh, if you are new to Christ's community, we practice communion as a, on a weekly basis. If you gather the elements on your way in, uh, we invite you to participate with us. But, but as we do, I, I would like to, I want to give us an opportunity to respond. And for some of you, that just may be a response of gratitude for the life that you now share in Christ, the life that you share in his life, death, and resurrection. For some of you, that may be a prayer of, of repentance and faith, of crying out to Christ as your only hope in life and death. And for some, maybe it's just a response of silence and reflection. But regardless, my hope and prayer is that we will find hope in the one who has come to find us. Amen? And so let me take a moment to pray for us as we can come to the Lord's table. Father in heaven, we thank you that through Christ we share in his victory over death, over sin, over shame. Lord, we know that our hope rises and falls upon the risen Christ. And I ask, Lord, in this time that you would, by the power of your spirit, bring hope out of hopeless places. Bring joy out of our despair and sorrow. Bring a comfort to our anxiety. Bring forgiveness to our sins. And bring hope over the grave that is marked for all of us. And so, Lord, as we come to this table, may we remember and celebrate the fullness of your life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. May you be glorified, may we be edified, and may those who are far from you be brought near by the blood of Christ Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.